Hi, my name is Chandler Clegg, and this is Humanized History, a podcast focused on adding color and vibrance back into history where it may have been lost. Today, we are talking about Tiberius Claudius Nero. Right now, I'm with Dylan William Rishi. Say hi. Hello. Um, so, what can you uh, tell the audience about our uh, relationship with Roman history? Well, uh, Roman history is something that I've kind of been obsessed with over the last, uh, I guess, two years, uh, and it's just got, it's kind of like an illness where it just gets worse every month. Um, Never gets better. No, it's pretty terminal at this point, but it's, uh, so far it's been pretty, pretty fun. Um, it has been fun. It's, uh, there's just so much to learn, so much to, to talk about and discuss, so. You know, that's what we're doing right here. Dylan is actually the person that got me into Roman history um, back in the days of when we were in Quiz Bowl together. And I remember he like wrote down all the names of the emperors in order and I was like so blown away. I was like, look up these. I know. And then I did it. And then I have this little book that I still have with me. And then I started taking notes on all the emperors. And that's just when I got super into it. And also shout out to Emperors of Rome with Matt Smith and Dr. Ann Evans. Um, I greatly respect y'all, and I would love to do something with you guys one day. Hopefully one day we'll be as professional as them and as qualified as them as well. Yeah, hopefully so. But we'll do our best with with what we have. But today, um, Tiberius. So Tiberius, uh, what would you like to say as an opening note about Tiberius? Tiberius is a very divisive emperor, I feel. Um, Whereas most people will agree that Augustus was by and large a, a good emperor. And some people, like with uh, this getting into spoiler territories, but Tiberius' successor, uh, Caligula, most people will agree, bad emperor. Bad, very uh, bad. But Tiberius is one of those tricky guys that we're not really sure how to feel. Uh, we, 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 we're not sure exactly what to think about the guy. He's a very complex character. I don't really like him. Uh, he... Yeah, we're, I'll, we'll have to. We're gonna be disagreeing on a few points here and there. More later on in his life, where it's less fact and more speculation. opinion speculation. So, let's just jump into the life of Tiberius. So, Tiberius is a character that we don't know a bunch about just because sources. So, in my hand is the Twelve Caesars by Suetonius, and I am. I'm now. Uh, grasping in my hand a copy of Tacitus. Um, and so Tacitus and Suetonius are really our like two main go-to guys when dealing with Imperial Rome. Uh, I personally enjoy reading Suetonius more. He adds more flavor to it and he goes more into detail. For better or for worse, I would argue worse. Uh, Suetonius is by far definitely the more approachable and readable historian. But a lot of the consensus around Suetonius is that he's kind of like the, uh, what is it? The, the TMZ of the Rome. The TMZ of Rome. You um, know, but I mean, who says that's like a bad thing? This, you well. Know? <laughs> um, you know, okay, I agree with you there. But, you know, the base of what he's saying, I believe is true. And you don't know what is and what isn't true. Kind of just because he reported on anything and everything. To, to give credit to Suetonius, he wasn't like just some guy writing history. He was actually like heavily involved uh, in the reigns of Trajan and Hadrian. He was like a pretty like well connected dude, uh, senator. So he's not just some guy writing history. You know, he he had his sources, uh, but I just tend to uh, be a little um, 
skeptical of some of the more uh, peculiar details that he throws in about certain emperors, like a couple things that we will get into later uh, with Tiberius. Um, and whether or not those things are true, I guess we'll never know. It's up to you to decide. That's the thing about ancient history. You get to decide everything. But let's get into his life. So Tiberius, his father was a high priest and a magistrate, and he was married to Livia. And they were actually cousins. Um, and it is also believed she was 13 when she gave birth to Tiberius, which probably means that they were married before then. Which is a little... So incest and pedophilia. And 13 is young, even for Romans. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, the Romans would normally like marry off their daughters, you know, 16, 17, 18, uh, around then. So 13, even for the Romans, this is pretty young. That's a... Uh... Very young, yeah. I mean, you know, um, we're going to get into later, it seems that uh, both Tiberius and his father have a history of pedophilia, so... I'm going to... I'm going to... No comment. No comment. <laughs> so... Uh, their family pledges allegiance to Marcus Antonius, and of course, the civil war takes place between uh, Augustus, or at that point, Octavius or Octavian, and of course, you know, Augustus wins the civil war, <laughs> and smart. they have to flee. They have they go from place to place. Eventually, like they end up in Greece, and by the time Tiberius is three, he's like, okay, you can come back to Rome. But uh, also, Tiberius' elder, Tiberius' father, you have to divorce your wife because I'm in love with her. And something about um, how he had to walk her down the aisle, right? Yeah, so Augustus and Livia um, are unique. A lot of unique things about Livia. (laughs) Uh, But Augustus and Livia are fairly unique with Roman, elite Roman marriages in that they seem to have married mostly for love or something like love, as there wasn't any huge political advantage of of Augustus marrying Livia, especially considering her husband, uh, Tiberius' father, uh, confusingly also named Tiberius, he was a supporter of of the the murderers of Julius Caesar uh, in the wake of his death, and he supported Marcus Antonius, uh, Mark Antony, in the Civil War's with Augustus. So, uh, their marriage is not one that you'd ever see coming, but it is something that happens. And, uh, Augustus basically tells Tiberius's father, uh, I want your wife. So how about you divorce her? And we, we do have that story of, this sounds so foreign to us now, uh, but effectively Livia's ex-husband walking her down the aisle to her new husband, um, Octavian or Augustus. So it's a, a colorful little tidbit we get. Amazing. And um, not just the fact that, you know, you feel bad for Tiberius's father, Tiberius, but also Augustus divorced his wife at the time, who was pregnant yeah, to do Scribonia. this. So Scribonia. that's also pretty messed up. Yeah. Uh, Augustus also had, you know, a lot of like really uh, strange marriages. Um, he had a lot of strange things. You know, Augustus had strange laws, too, like how he wanted everybody to, like, constantly wear togas, the uh, the laws about uh, adultery. Laws that'll bite him in the butt mm-hmm. later on. Yeah, no, they'll... Life. Although, we'll get to that. Yeah, because I think it's the only recorded uh, cases of the laws about adultery yeah. were used, like, against him. We're, we're members of his family getting yeah. caught. 
uh, doing it. So, but I mean, you know, you got to lead by example, so he couldn't just exactly. let them get away with exactly. it. Exactly. Which exactly. is why I like Augustus. I think he, Augustus he, is. A... He stuck by his laws for sure. Um, at least I think a problem that we'd have with politicians today is that they come up with laws and then uh, sort of exclude <laughs> themselves um, mm-hmm. from the, following those very same laws. But Augustus didn't do that. Augustus stuck to his laws through and through. He did. Augustus did do that. Um, so later on, um, you know, after this, uh, Livia is now married to Augustus. Tiberius is still living with his father. And eventually he dies. And he is sent to go live with Augustus and his mother. And he later uh, is given a little brother named Drusus. And uh, he's a pretty cool guy. Um, Tiberius really likes Drusus. They have a good relationship growing up. Um, but yeah, now they're living uh, all with Augustus. In Rome. In Rome. And uh, his daughter Julia is also living with them. And uh, tell them who else is now living with them. Oh, are we talking about um, Octavia and uh, Marcellus here? Mm-hmm. All right, so... Uh, the Julio-Claudian family tree is is not known for its simplicity, um, but so at the time of uh, when Tiberius was living uh, in the Augustan palace with, with the rest of his family, uh, Marcellus was the heir apparent for Augustus. Now, something we're going to notice again and again and again with Tiberius is that he never really was meant to be emperor. Uh, there were a handful of other people who Augustus would have much preferred to have succeeded him rather than Tiberius, but because of circumstances, um, certain historians, cough, cough, Suetonius, would have you believe that this was the uh, machinations of Livia uh, having all these uh, people murdered to make room for her darling boy Tiberius, Um, but that's besides the point. We're not going to get too much into the speculation so yes marcellus is the son of um octavia that's uh, augustus's sister and uh uh, someone we don't need to really know too much about but uh, gaius claudius marcellus uh, that's the man he is a senator and politician um who really doesn't play too much of a part It's, it's more important about their child marcellus who is the first heir apparent to augustus um, Marcellus uh, will marry Julia, which is Augustus's only child from that previous marriage with Scribonia, and um, yeah. So yeah. do we want to? Do we want to? Um, let's keep going into his early life. Okay. Yeah. We'll we'll get into his other successors later. Mm-hmm. So uh, Marcellus, Drusus, and Tiberius. You know this whole new uh, changing government with uh, Augustus is very strange it's very different so nobody knows who's going to really be the next ruler and so they're all trained to be the next ruler in a sense so they're all uh, given very intelligent tutors they're all trained in you know manners and growing up together really growing Um, up together yeah serving off in wars together Um, i believe it's tiberius and uh, marcellus are sent off to to Spain uh, during an uprising from a local northern barbarian tribe. Um, So they're actually sent off together to Spain with Augustus and with uh, Agrippa, who we'll talk about later. Um, So they're serving together alongside 
Um, so you can imagine that they had uh, some degree of camaraderie, brotherhood, friendship between, uh, you know, Drusus and Tiberius. I mean, Tiberius and Drusus were actual brothers. But even Tiberius and Marcellus, who, though they weren't related by blood, um, spent so much of their lives living together. You have to imagine they had some sort of, of a relationship between the two. And um, when Tiberius and Marcellus, when they returned from that campaign you were talking about, that's when Augustus is like, okay, you're marrying Julia. And he's like, dope. And they get married. And then Tiberius eventually, he also gets married. So talk about that a little bit. So Tiberius marries, uh, we're going to have to do a little side here on Latin pronunciation. Um, I am going to be annoying and try to pronounce most of these names as closely as to how they would have pronounced them. So I'm going to call this lady that Tiberius is married to first. I'm going to call her Whipsania. It's spelt with a V, but we can we could totally do an episode all about this. But in Latin, Vs are pronounced as Ws. So Vipsania becomes Whipsania. Yeah. It sounds silly, but I'm going to stick with it just because I want to be, you know, as close to uh, as how the Latin would have been pronounced then. And sometimes this works out for sometimes the better. Like Gaius Julius Caesar, as yeah, I was pronouncing. Which is the Latin pronunciation. Or Cicero. But um, tell them about what you were talking about. Uh... <laughs> we were When we were planning and writing notes on this episode, uh, I talked about how sometimes it works out like that. And then other times you get names like uh, Augustus's birth name, Gaius Octavian. Uh, you go from Octavian, which is this very strong, you know, powerful sounding name to uh what sounds like he has a lisp uh Gaius Octavian so you know it doesn't always work out and of course this wenny weedy weeky oh my gosh that was my senior quote actually <laughs> and um everybody was I think it was um my AP comparative government teacher he was like telling me like yeah that's like a really cool quote and um and I was talking to him about that but like not nobody really knew what it meant, but uh, I would pronounce it to them like, "Yeah, Winnie Woody Weeky," and they'd be like, what? "What? Did you just cast a spell on me or something?" And I'd be like, "No, no, that's how it's pronounced in Latin." But um, yeah, that's Latin pronunciation. Yeah. Um, Put that anecdote to the side. Anyway, we were talking about um, Tiberius's. Uh, Marcellus had married. Marcellus had married Julia. Julia. Right. And then uh, Tiberius had married. Uh, and he fell in love with her yeah it wasn't because it was not often in rome where you would marry somebody and like be in love with them it would mainly be a political move or political marriages but he actually was in love with this woman and um so he's beginning his military career you know he's 22 um he has a child with whipsania um drusus um he will come into play later but as for now, all you need to know is that he has a relatively happy marriage with Whipsania. Um, and yes, it's it, they, you know they have a happy marriage, and then at some point things start to go downhill. So Drusus falls off a horse and breaks his leg, and the brother of Tiberius, the brother of Tiberius, uh, not to confuse the son of Tiberius, who is also named Drusus. <laughs> it does get confusing. Um, but he falls off the horse, breaks his leg. And Tiberius rides for days straight to go see him, and as soon as he gets there, he sees him, and then he dies. And him and his brother were really close, so, you know, this kind of, like, hit him hard. The first of many uh, difficult moments in the lives of Tiberius. Very, um, very. Um, he had a lot of 
very difficult things he had to deal with. And if ancient texts are to be uh, believed, how he dealt with them wasn't necessarily uh, res- you know, a responsible way to deal with this grief, but we'll get into that later. So, Marcellus. Marcellus. What do you have to say about him? Marcellus, um, again, son of Augustus' sister, Octavian, uh, Octavia, sorry, and um, Marcellus is living alongside Tiberius and um, serving in Spain and all these good things, and he's the designated heir of Augustus, and he's living a, a, you know, he's ascending slowly but surely up the political ladder um, until in the year 23 BCE, uh, he catches a sickness, the same sickness that Augustus had caught earlier in the year. Augustus had survived, however, Marcellus does not, and Marcellus uh, dies, so this is the first hurdle of many that Augustus's um, succession is, is going to face. So Marcellus dies uh, without having any children with Julia, so this leaves Augustus with the problem of, okay, now who is going to be my heir next? And so the solution is Marcus Whipsania Agrippa, um, or just Agrippa as we'll refer him. Agrippa, a three-time consul of Rome, as well as the uh, military general who had, who had accomplished many of the military victories uh, in the civil wars against Mark Antony. Uh, Augustus was not a renowned military figure as much as he was a political one. And it, it's the case that Agrippa is the one out there doing most of the actual on-the-ground uh, military fighting with Mark Antony and winning all these great battles like the Battle of um, Actium where we see Mark Antony and Cleopatra just defeated and they go home and commit suicide, which opens the way for uh, Augustus. So, Agrippa, extremely important dude, and Augustus decides, hey, he won't be too bad as an heir, so he um, marries Julia, his daughter, to Agrippa. Now, this is the case where you can kind of tell where Augustus is wanting the succession to go um, by who he has Julia married off to. And in this case, he has Julia married off to Agrippa, which, again, we keep saying it's uncommon to have uh, happy marriages, but this is also, um, by all accounts, to been a pretty happy marriage. We promise we're not lying. What's that? We promise we're not lying. This yeah, this yeah. was uncommon. Yeah, w- the Julia clones, I guess, were just kind of lucky, um, <laughs> or Julia was just a really nice girl, um, because uh, by all accounts, Agrippa and Julia get along really well, and they have, I think, a whopping like five kids, which is a lot considering that Augustus had one, three wives, one kid. Um, the Romans were not very good at uh, producing a lot of babies. Um, but, yes, yeah, so Agrippa marries Julia, and they have several kids. And Agrippa, for a while, um, seems to be the man who's going to succeed Augustus when he dies. However, then Agrippa dies. Uh, again, of a natural death. Um, of course, again, certain historians would have you believe that this is Livia all along, having her hand and all of these things and she's having certain people poisoned and making way for her son Tiberius to come to the throne of course you know we do have to remember this is 2,000 years ago before modern medicine it's totally possible 
that a man like Agrippa, who is well into his 50s at this point, dying a natural death. It's not unheard of. Um, so yes, Agrippa dies, and then Augustus is faced once again with who is going to succeed me when I die. And fortunately... Um, or unfortunately. Or unfortunately, if you're Tiberius. Yeah, if you're Tiberius, uh, Julian Agrippa, again, had five kids, and two of these kids, their sons, um, Gaius and Lucius, um, again, another Latin pronunciation thing, uh, we're going to call him Lucius, Gaius and Lucius um, become the two heir apparents for Augustus now. Um, Julia, however, will be married to Tiberius, so... So, at this point... Um, Augustus is faced with this task. So he tells Tiberius, hey, you're going to have to divorce Whipsania and marry Julia. And Tiberius is faced with the same uh, trial that his father was faced yeah. with. And both of them, uh, both him and his father, were like, you know, okay, I'll listen to you. You know, you're the emperor. And so he divorces Whipsania and it marries Julia. Well, he hates Julia. He <laughs> he he abhors her. He hates her. She cheats on him very often. There's there's strong evidence of that. That is not one of those things that like we contemplate or like think about or it's not really a theory. It's just something that we do know. And this made him very unhappy and the fact that he had to leave the love of his life. Yeah. Which, you know, obviously so is So Tiberius is faced with a situation where uh, you know, he he has to leave this wife who that he really did love. I mean, we do general, genuinely believe that he did love Whipsania. Instead, he has to marry Julia, who he's not nearly as fond of. And not only that, but he has to be humiliated by the fact that his wife is constantly, publicly cuckolding him effectively. Um, she has numerous affairs um, and doesn't seem to be very doesn't seem to be very keen uh, to keep this very hush-hush, even though her father had put laws specifically in place to prevent this sort of, you know, flagrant public uh, affairs that, that Julie was having with. And it's, it's rather funny, just because Augustus had passed these laws about adultery. So basically, if you were a woman and you were cheating on your husband... It was against the law, and you were to be executed. And if you were a husband and you knew your wife was cheating on you, and you didn't do anything about it, you were to be executed also. And Augustus like didn't really know about this, didn't really have much evidence about that this was going on. Later, that changes, but that's for later in the yeah, story. Yeah, originally, uh, or at the beginning, Augustus seems to kind of turn a blind eye and sort of let you know he knows it's happening. I mean, there's no way he couldn't have known this was happening. Yeah, everyone else in Rome did. So it's, it's very hard to believe that the most powerful man in Rome isn't aware that his daughter's doing what she is. But he turns a blind eye. He just didn't see any hard evidence yeah. on it. And once he actually sees hard evidence on it, he can no longer turn a blind eye. He decides he has to do something we'll, about it. But yeah. we'll get to that. So at this point, um, he's dealing with a marrying Julia, and he hates it. Um, she's cheating on him, so he leaves to fight. Uh, and eventually, um, while he left to fight in a campaign, he goes and looks for uh, Whipsania. He goes and looks for her. He's following her in the streets, crying and weeping in the streets. And Augustus hears about this, and he kind of just, you know, rolls his eyes. And he's like, okay, you're being a little, you know, 
over dramatic about this. You're not allowed to see her ever again. And he is never permitted to see Whipsania again in his life. And that's the end of their story together completely. Yeah. Whipsania, she does. Whipsania, sorry, I'm breaking my own rule here. <laughs> uh, she does remarry. Um, however, yeah, she basically vanishes from the, the historical record of this. Yeah, point. because uh, she did remarry, but Augustus married her off to somebody. So it wasn't like she went off and chose someone to marry. Yeah, she's still in, in Augustus's hands. <laughs> so. Uh, he's very unhappy, and he exiles him himself. Self-imposed exile. Self-imposed exile to the island of Rhodes, where while he's there, now he is here on his own will. But Augustus is furious that he just leaves Julia and goes here by himself. So, and not only leaves Julia, but he also leaves the secession. He basically forfeits his right to become. Although Gaius and Lucius are still alive at this point, um, so it, it, it's not too big of a deal, but we will see that, again, spoilers, once Gaius and Lucius do die, um, this is a huge problem because Augustus's only other heir apparent has put himself into exile in Rhodes, where he's basically just spending his days, you know, enjoying the, the city, <laughs> sort of staying to himself in his villa, um, you know, acquainting himself with philosophers and poets and actually kind of sounds awesome I'm not gonna lie I can't can't blame him for wanting to to leave get away from Rome and, and have a pretty good time on, on a Greek island absolutely so this you know of course this um this makes Augustus furious so even though he's there on his own will he's like you can't leave until I say you can leave even though you went there in your own will so he's kind of trapped there and um Things start to change after this. His mother, actually Tiberius's mother, finds some hard evidence on Julia that she was cheating. And Augustus is kind of distraught because he now has to deal with the fact that his daughter was breaking this law. And this is one of the only recorded cases of the adultery law that Augustus created. And he can't bring himself to execute her, so he exiles her. And still... Augustus won't let Tiberius leave the island. So Augustus is still reluctant to let Tiberius out of his self-imposed exile until his hand is sort of forced within uh, 4 CE, or 2 CE, sorry, 2 CE, we have the death of Lucius, um, the second oldest son of uh, Agrippa and Julia. He dies uh, around modern-day Marseille, France, he drowns on the way to uh, his campaign in Spain. And then just two years later, his older brother Gaius um, also dies on campaign. He, he's off in the east in modern-day Turkey, around a, the then province of Lycia. Um, he's off fighting this eastern campaign, and he suffers some wounds and dies of those wounds uh, a few days later. So Augustus is now left with both of his heirs apparent within just a couple of years being dead. So Augustus is left with this terrible realization that he doesn't have anyone else to go to. So who does he call for except for Tiberius? He finally you know, sends a letter to him and says, okay, maybe you should come out of your exile, come back to Rome. You're our only hope. <laughs> I'm sure that's how Tiberius would have liked to have seen it. Um, and Tiberius is finally let out of his exile, and he's brought back to Rome. And 
it's at this point that it's pretty clear to everyone that Tiberius is going to be the one to succeed uh, Augustus. So Tiberius is called back by Augustus, and it is now at this point, um, a little bit after this, Augustus dies. So what would you like to say about um, the life of Augustus and his death? Well, Augustus dies in 14 CE. Um, he was rather old. <laughs> I think he had just made 80 around the time that he died. Uh, and so, really old guy. He's lived an extremely long time, had an extremely long reign. Um, so it, it's very easy to say that he died a natural death. Again, historians want to say that Livia had something to do with this, that she uh, fed him poisoned figs, I believe is the, the most commonly quoted uh, sort of story. But for all intents and purposes, Augustus dies 14 CE um, from natural causes, leaving the uh, throne to Tiberius. So now we are 30 minutes into the episode and Tiberius just became emperor. Just became emperor, 55 50. years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the things he did, he strengthened the Praetorian Guard, um, he strengthened the Navy, he withheld on spending, um, he grew the treasury, but also he imposed a lot of laws that, um, increased punishments for crimes. So very, very high fines and that caused, um, you know, the treasury to grow. But one of the most controversial, uh, Things that happened during his early reign was when there are four Jewish men who uh, conspired to uh, rob a woman. Um, well, Tiberius found out about this and exiled the entire Jewish community from Rome, which you know pretty messed up. Yeah, uh, Tiberius's reign as emperor is generally considered to be—he's uh, considered to be a pretty severe. Uh, very no-nonsense, to-the-point sort of emperor um, who really just is willing to... to, And this is the same manner that he became a, a really well-accomplished general in places like Illyricum and Germania and Pannonia. Uh, he achieved a lot of military victories um, in these areas by being this, this very strict, severe, authoritarian um ruler and he sort of continues these traits uh in his emperorship so um it is at this point not very much is done uh in the first half of his reign he does you know some good things like i said he strengthens the navy and the praetorian guard but it is at this point um where his son drusus also the name of his brother who is dead his son drusus now dies and, like, they didn't have a super close relationship, but it still leaves him distraught. Um, what do you have to say about him and his relationship with his son and what this led him to? It's a basically seen as the last straw that uh, Tiberius had for, as far as it goes with involvement in Rome. Uh, after the death of his son Drusus uh, in 26 CE, I believe, uh, he withdraws even further from political life, where even before he was seen as this kind of reluctant, uh, not super enthusiastic on his position as emperor. Um, but at this point, after the death of Drusus, he really recedes from political life. And this is where we sort of start to get to see him uh, moving to Capri. The monster uh, uh, of Tiberius. This is the gloomiest of men 
that Pliny the Elder is talking about when he's speaking of Tiberius. This is where we get to see that really just really distasteful, even like villainous character coming out. And when he first moves to Capri, he doesn't intend to stay there for long, but he eventually stays there for the rest of his life. He never goes back to Rome. Leaves Rome entirely. Um, he grants uh, Sejanus, the leader of the Praetorian Guard, a bunch of power. To rule in his stead, effectively. And basically, Tiberius, the only uh, way people know he's emperor is the title. He doesn't have really any power. And he builds a bunch of villas on the island of Capri, um, that contain dungeons and torture chambers. Um, allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> and while he is here, um, he grows ugly, um, according, allegedly, yeah, according to historians. Let's just go ahead, because I know Chandler's been dying to talk about this. Since <laughs> This is probably the reason we're talking about Tiberius in the first place. Uh, let's talk about all the gross stuff that Suetonius would have us believe happened here. So, whether you choose to believe this or not, whatever I'm about to tell you from now on, um, besides the facts about Sejanus and um, what he does to him, but what I tell you about him that is somewhat villainous, you can take that with a grain of salt or you can believe it. That's how ancient history works. So, according to uh, Suetonius, he had blotches all over his face at this point, uh, exploding pus-filled pockets, um, a, a terrible smell, just constantly coming from him um the dungeons of course and one of my uh you know least favorite things about him comes from it's it's two things so um apparently allegedly he would have prisoners meant to be executed sent to his island and he would kick them off a cliff um which wasn't doesn't seem too bad unless when you think about it as this when they're kicked off a cliff, they aren't given a proper burial, which is, like, a big deal in, you know, Roman civilization. So these people are kind of just, like, you know, banished off of this cliff. And even worse, allegedly, <laughs> he had a pool where he would basically um, rape infant babies and have them swim between swim his legs. Swim between his legs and, and sort of, you know, you perform know, certain yeah. favors for him. Yeah. Uh, it's all very gross. And we, with that physical description, you get this idea that he's just as physically repulsive as he is mentally repulsive. And he's just becoming this just disgusting, again, villainous character here on this island of Capri, where he's really just rotting into a, a worse and worse version of himself. And that's certainly um, what... The historians would want you have to believe, like Suetonius and even Tacitus. You know, it's not just Suetonius and this Tacitus, um, as well. Sort of uh, tells many of these same stories, which you know perhaps gives us uh, leaves lead, gives them some sort of credence uh, uh, in that we do have a lot of reports of them. But in my opinion, um, I think a lot of these really. Uh, exceptionally gross and exceptionally like nefarious um, stories that Tiberius gets attributed to him. I think that reflects the negative attitude that the people of Rome had towards this emperor, allegedly emperor, who's never in Rome. You know, in the same way that we would view a politician who is always at their summer home, uh, we would view them with a little bit of disdain. You know, why aren't they in 
Why aren't they in their seat of power? Why aren't they doing the things that it's their job to do? So I think Tiberius set himself up for a lot of uh, neglect and um, um, anger from the Roman public when he recedes this place of Capri and just abandons his responsibilities. And even if he um, didn't, you know, do these nefarious things, uh, I don't feel bad for him that all these people say this happened to him because he abandons this one of the largest empires in history. Um, not not necessarily at the time, but eventually, um, just the the ability to say that you were a Roman emperor, you leave a legacy, and he decided to leave the people behind and just spend his time on his own. So whether you choose to believe it or not, I believe that he was not a very caring person about and, the and Roman people. He, he really is not a memorable emperor. Um, I mean... As we're slowly but surely getting to the, the end date of his life, uh, he, he has not survived very well in public memory. I mean, if uh, I think the name Tiberius has survived better than the actual person it's from. Uh, whereas Augustus and you know later emperors like, I don't know. Are you talking about good ones or bad ones? <laughs> yes. Um, Marcus Aurelius and, are, are good ones. Vespasian? Vespasian, good ones, and then you you know have bad ones like Nero and Caligula, but Tiberius, he's not good enough to be remembered for being good, but he's also not bad enough to be remembered as just those. I mean, Caligula, Nero, those are just absolute villains. I mean, there's nothing redeemable about. I mean, even guys. Domitian, Domitian, is... or, or Commodus, uh, you know, they they were just so over the top villainous that they're impossible to forget. Whereas. Tiberius, he's this sort of like double-sided character that, you know, he has a lot of these really nasty things that he does, but he also has some very redeemable qualities, and you know, and you get this sense that at the end of the day, he didn't even want to be emperor in the first place. So, Oh, for sure. He, uh, I have a, a fair amount of sympathy for the guy, although, you know, obviously if these stories that are attributed to him are true, not a good guy. But, very bad. Uh Part of me has to feel a little sympathy for for a guy who who did everything that was asked of him, whether he wanted to or not. Yeah. So at this point, he's still living on Capri, and Sejanus, the leader of the Praetorian Guard, the people now see him as emperor more than they see uh, Tiberius. So Sejanus now is co-consul with Tiberius, even though he's all the way over in Capri, and. Uh, the people are loving Sejanus. They, he has golden statues of himself built. Um, his birthday is declared a holiday. And it's at this point where um, Tiberius allows uh, Drusus, his dead son, not his dead brother, um, his dead son's widow, um, to marry Sejanus. And then it gets to the point where Tiberius is uh, getting scared of how much power he's getting and orders the Senate to execute him. And the Senate is like, whoa, wait, what? And But they do it just because they didn't like how much power the Praetorian Guard had. And he was, of course, the leader of the Praetorian Guard. So it was... You get this rivalry between... that. That's going to last from the foundation forever. until the very end. The Praetorian <laughs> um, Guard and the Senate are, are just... Completely at odds. Complete enemies. Absolute um, enemies. And I, th I think it's interesting that even... You know the one man that Tiberius trusted. Even even Sejanus is not safe 
from the wrath of Tiberius, and he'll he'll meet his death directly because of Tiberius. Exactly, yeah. So it is in now at this point where he kind of has to do what Augustus did and pick the best from the worst, and he picks. Uh, tell tell us about who he picks. <laughs> well, none other than the Cal- the aforementioned Caligula. Caligula, um, yes. Although it is important to note that in his time. Uh, Caligula is Latin for little boots. It's a sort of cute little nickname that they gave their son uh, because he was constantly on military campaigns with his father, Germanicus, Germanicus who is Tiberius's nephew. So this would make Caligula uh, Tiberius's great nephew um, in the same manner that Octavian was Julius Caesar's great nephew. Uh, that's beside the point. So yes, Tiberius adopts uh, Caligula. Reluctantly. Reluctantly. Um, and he brings him on to Capri with him, supposedly. And many, not many, but um, I've, I've read quite a few sources that believe that Tiberius corrupted, corrupted Caligula yeah, while he was on the island. And that's why Caligula was known for these giant orgies and incestuous uh, wants and needs. And It's just... a way to explain why Caligula was such a gross figure. Um, because, I mean, really... We won't be covering Caligula, at least not in this episode, but you'll see that uh, uh, what Tiberius did, Caligula did 20 times worse. I mean, Caligula Caligula takes it to such an excess that people are not going to be, people are not going to put up with Caligula in the same way that they put up Tiberius. No spoilers. <laughs> it's just, it's just fun to pick on Tiberius just because nobody really uh, talks about him, you know? <laughs> And you talk about these because, you know, if you ask, you know, which Roman emperor do you hate, most people are probably going to be like Nero or Caligula if they do, you know, know who these people are. But you never really hear anybody talk about Tiberius. He's such just an average guy, Yeah. to be honest. Yeah, he really is. He, he's, uh, I think when we, I mean, do we want to start talking about uh, his, his death? I mean. Yeah, so Tiberius, he is at a ceremonial uh, spear throwing event. And he badly injures his shoulder. And he hasn't seen a physician in decades, according to sources. And paranoid. Par- very paranoid. And the physician tells him he has one day to live, and then he dies. And so that's it. That's the end of Tiberius. Um, that is all about Tiberius. Pretty unceremonious death. At best, uh, very um, just average um, emperor. At worst, uh, pedophile, baby <laughs> rapist, uh you know, a sadistic murderer. Basically every slander you can put on a guy. Yeah, um, basically. You know. But at his best, he's average. Average, at yeah. <laughs> Pretty average, you know. I mean, at his best, uh, he exiled the Jewish community, and he, <laughs> he was very paranoid and had a lot of people executed. Um, but, I mean, you know, he also did good things for the Treasury and the Praetorian Guard and the Navy. But, I mean, also, like, at worst, like I said. I, I think, given the in- inheritance that Tiberius had, I mean... When we talk about when he was born, Tiberius was born uh, to a normal, pretty average Roman family. I mean, his father wasn't anything super powerful. His mother wasn't anything super uh, powerful. Um, but he's sort of thrusted into this limelight where he becomes the ruler of the entire Mediterranean. Uh, certainly not something he ever saw coming. Uh, so I, I think when you when you look at it from that way, Again, you can manage to sympathize for someone, even when it is someone as distasteful as a character as Tiberius. But yeah, um, that's basically it. 
Um, one last little note. Uh, Emperors of Rome, the podcast, you know, Dr. Rhiannon Evans, Matt Smith, please contact us. <laughs> um, you, you've uh, greatly enhanced my knowledge on the subject of the Roman Empire and more recently Roman Republic. And we'd love to work with y'all, but you're probably never going to listen to this. But if you do... It's worth a shot. It's worth a shot. But yeah, if you want to hear us talk more about Rome, let us know. Because both of us, like we said, are obsessed with Roman history. Um, We like all kinds of history. But I mainly uh, focus in ancient history. What about you, Dylan? I have a soft spot for for ancient history, um, particularly Rome. Uh, Definitely. Yeah, it's definitely... uh, in the same way that I like all sorts of food, I have certain foods. Rome is that same thing. It's really definitely. Yeah, yeah, I and I agree. And with ancient history there's so much to study, you know, you have the Assyrians, the Mesopotamia, you know, in Mesopotamia, you have all that, you have the Greeks, the Romans, um, you have the Persians. It, like there's just so much. It's too much to focus on and I mean, this is the second ancient history episode I've done and I've only done three episodes so um, but if you want to hear more ancient history let me know if you'd rather hear more uh, all kinds of history let me know um, if you think I should turn this podcast into more of an ancient history thing yeah my email is humanizedhistory at gmail.com or you can contact me on any of my social medias which will be in the description of this episode and thanks for listening thanks for listening have a nice day or night wherever you are